Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined once again by Daniel Lowe. Daniel has featured on the show previously in season three, and since then, he's gone on to become the general counsel of Cake DeFi, an exciting organization that enables cash flow from Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies on a one-stop platform. Daniel is still based in Singapore, specializing in decentralized finance, DeFi, and digital assets. And in addition, Daniel is a career strategist, assisting students with training contracts and law school applications, as well as personal branding. Daniel is a triple qualified lawyer of Canada, Ontario and Alberta, England and Wales and the British Virgin Islands. Daniel is also passionate about all things Web3 with a keen interest in blockchain, crypto and DeFi. So a very, very warm welcome back, Daniel. Rob, thank you so much. And I swear nothing can beat that introduction. So (laughs) thank you so much for that. Uh, No, it's my absolute pleasure. And before we dive into all your amazing achievements to date, we still have our customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast. So curious to see if your number has changed, but on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality? Um, What did I say last time? I think last time I said a six, right? It's probably a four now. Yeah, probably a four. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And with a four, we will move swiftly on. So to begin with, let's uh, recap. Tell us a little bit more, you know, for reminding us a bit about your background and your career journey since we, we last had you on the show. Sure. I mean, I can start from the beginning. Um, so, you know, originally I'm from Hong Kong. I moved to Toronto when I was five years old and basically completed my undergrad at U of T, which is University of Toronto, did poli-sci, which I thought was partly kind of useless. But anyways, it led me to law school in Birmingham in the UK, after which I did my LPC at City University of London. And then finally back at the U of T doing an LLM in securities regulation. Now, I started my professional career at an investment bank in Toronto doing OTC derivatives contracts uh, negotiations. After that, I did a training contract and one year of practice in the energy M&A group at Denton's in Canada. Um, After that experience, I realized that, you know what, I really want to do an international stint, uh, whether that's in London or Hong Kong or Singapore. So I decided to move to Asia and I moved to Hong Kong where I was originally from. And over there, I worked a few years in-house. I worked at a private equity firm, Uh, did that for a bit and then moved over to Singapore because I wanted to try another new city in Asia, but um, wasn't ready to go back home yet. Uh, So I moved to Singapore and I worked at Walker's, which is an offshore law firm doing investment funds and corporate transactions, UBS afterwards doing asset management work. And then most recently, like you said, into crypto uh, at Cake DeFi, which is a decentralized finance crypto company in Singapore as their GC. It's such an inspiring journey, Daniel. I just love what you have gone on to to achieve. And I guess my question would be, you know, from a career progression point of view, going from a non-crypto into a crypto crypto role, how did you make that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, as you know, crypto is fairly new and it's growing quickly. So there are very few lawyers out there that have direct relevant crypto experience. So when you hear someone say, oh, I've been a crypto lawyer for years, um, you know, call BS on that because there's no way. Um, But crypto companies are always looking for those with kind of broad-based corporate experiences or commercial backgrounds uh, with good exposure and knowledge of crypto. So I think for me, there are two factors in helping me pivot into crypto. 
One is self-learning and the other is networking, surprisingly. So on the first bit on self-learning, I was actually very curious myself on crypto investing. And I learned on my own, watching YouTube videos, uh, reading uh, CoinGecko and Coin, Coin, uh, Cointelegraph, all these other uh, publications on crypto myself. And I traded myself very smallly, very small, but um, eventually got the use of it and um, actually learned the lingo, which is really important because when you speak to crypto people, if you don't understand the lingo, uh, they may not see you as an insider. Um, so for me, that was really important. Second factor, which helped me, was actually re- meeting the right people at the right time. So as you know, I am a big fan of networking, uh, building a brand on LinkedIn, but also building communities. So in my time in Singapore, I actually did meet up with a crypto lawyer uh, who um, was at Cape DeFi prior to me and uh, met him a few times. And then afterwards, uh, coming to these networking events, he told me, you know what, I'm moving on to another company as their GC, but there is a role open here. Would you be interested? Now, the role at this point wasn't advertised yet, so it was hard for you know me to find this role if I were to look on LinkedIn. But because I knew him, I met him on prior occasions, and I continued to uh, build a relationship with the, the network that I developed. This opportunity came up, so you know that's all to say, crypto community is really small. Networking is very key. Yeah, and I love that. And you just give a great example of how, you know, the benefits of networking is is not only just to grow your networks, but can really benefit your career and that opportunities that have come through your door. And obviously, you're great at building a personal brand and building communities. And you know, it's something I'm exceptionally passionate about as well, Daniel. So I just want to sort of really highlight this is a great case study for people to follow in Daniel's footsteps, because you never know of opportunities that might come your way. And, and now this has sort of enabled you to get into the what I believe is the now and in the future. So congratulations on that. And thanks for sharing your, your story. But you are part of the, um, you know, the general counsel at uh, Kate DeFi. As I mentioned, it's a platform making decentralized financial services and cryptocurrencies available to everyone, which is super, super cool. So when did you know if you were ready to take a general counsel role? And is this based on your post-qualification level or any intangibles like the commercial commercial awareness that you have? How did it happen? Yeah, so I'm going to give you the biggest non-answer ever. Um, it depends, <laughs> and also a bit of both. <laughs> so I think the term GC really means something different depending on the organization you're in, the industry you're in. So for instance, if you're looking at a major investment bank, a GC would be anyone with 20 years and above PQE. Whereas for a startup, you maybe see a GC with only four to five years uh, PQE. So it, it really depends. But I think for the kind of crypto startup space, you're looking at between the four to eight level. Um, I think that's because at this level, you have a base level of theoretical knowledge and also practical experience you've gained from either private practice or other in-house roles. Um, I I think for most importantly, aside from having a base level competency, you need to be generally confident and resourceful enough to take on this, you know, sometimes sole legal counsel role. Um, So that's really key. And also being able to manage stakeholders because you're not only managing the executive, uh, the CEO, CTO, CFO, but also having to deal with product uh, team members or marketing team members um, or developers that may not understand legal nuance that you need to explain clearly um, and also make them happy. Um, but I mean, like lastly, a lot of people talk about commercial awareness, uh, whether that's actually important here. And I think commercial consciousness is what I usually refer to, less so awareness. Uh, consciousness is kind of like, in my mind, any advice that you give, uh, 
you have to stand by your advice, your legal advice, but also make decisions uh, based on business realities. And um, I think in any in-house setting, this is more important. Um, and it really does highlight what kind of lawyer you are. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was going to touch on commercial awareness because you mentioned it there. And it's so true. And you provide so much advice to um, sort of, I guess, young law students and trainees and professionals uh, around this. Is there any tips for people how maybe they can look to improve their uh, commercial awareness? Yeah, I, I think with commercial awareness, there's an exercise you can do. Uh, you know, when you're reading legal notes or uh, legal um, cases, there's always a strict legal stance on it. But for you, try to exercise, because for me, commercial awareness means understanding the legal stance on a matter, but being willing to deviate from that standard to be more commercially friendly and justifying it so you mitigate risk, because um, there will always be risk. So in your startup role, you know, sometimes you may be asked to uh, push the envelope to the point where you may be offside with the law. But how do you manage that? How do you mitigate against that? So in case someone does ask you, um, you have a justification. Um, that's that's a, an exercise that I try to do um, constantly, such, such as if you were to backdate a document, that's clearly illegal. But how do you mitigate that? What else do you do that have you uh, help you, um, I guess, explain that away? Yeah. And again, I, I love that, how you give such practical tips and advice to, to people on how they can really improve, um, you know, on that commercial awareness for the next generation of legal talent. So I appreciate you, you doing that for us, Daniel, as well. Time for a quick break from the show. Are you a legal aid practitioner in England and Wales, specializing in civil or criminal legal aid matters? If you are, this message is for you. As a legal aid solicitor, you don't have time to waste on legal aid case management software that doesn't work to your needs. That's why Clio has developed a quicker, more accurate and affordable solution for legal aid solicitors in England and Wales. It could save you hours in your month, particularly when it comes to end of month invoicing and claims to the legal aid agency. To see how it all works, visit clio.com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. That's Clio, C-L-I-O dot com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. Now back to the show. Let's move on then. You know, what is the the code is law and why is this important? Tell us more. Yeah, code is law is the new buzzword within kind of crypto legal spheres. Uh, in, in short, crypto uh, code is law is basically a form of regulation where technology is used to enforce existing laws and rules in the real world. So the idea is if a crypto platform or a crypto service has a loophole and someone takes advantage of it, then there must it must have been there for, on purpose and there should be no liability on the user who took advantage. Now, clearly, that's, this is obviously a defense that exploiters use when they misappropriate funds. And you see all these rug pulls and, uh, you know, like uh, crypto misappropriations and, and just straight up theft um, through bugs and loopholes. Um, but luckily enough, through recent case law, and it's currently being litigated right now in a lot of courts, recent case law has uh, illustrated that while the law cannot always reach directly into crypto wallets and remove misappropriate assets, individual defendants remain well within its reach. So if you can be identified as a defendant, uh, you're pretty much uh, going to be on the hook for the, the funds that you misappropriated. So it really doesn't reinforce that even when we enter into this Web3 era, law is still law. It, it will continue to trump over code as law as an argument. 
Yeah. And again, I, I love how you, you showcase that. So I always say to people, you know, with, you know, treat the law as you're in web one, web two or web three, the way you behave, you know, the law is still the, is still the law. So I, I love how you're sort of shining a light on that. And you're so progressive. So let's talk about, uh, I guess, being ahead of the curve and future proofing. You know, how do you future proof your legal career with crypto? Yeah, I, I think for me, it, it depends on if you want to get into crypto. If you do want to get into crypto, Web3, DeFi, GameFi, TradeFi, whatever Fi, you should really start educating yourself because right now it's not being taught in schools. It is completely self-taught uh, and it almost becomes if you make it in the sphere, uh, in the sphere you become a self-made uh, crypto expert. So really start um, going on YouTube, watching tutorials. Um, we're talking to crypto friends or startup founders, developers, even those in the marketing side in crypto, they know a lot because they need to decipher the complex nature of a product before they can actually pitch it to uh, customers and users. So, you know, all in all is to say, really try to educate yourself through talking to people and reading up on it. There's a bunch of books I can obviously recommend. Uh, one that always comes up is called Blockchain and the Law. Um, really helpful. Um also, uh, there's tons of books like Kryptonians is another one that I'm actually reading right now. Really interesting on recent developments and the rug pulls and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, for me, I'm really bullish on this future. So if you get in now, make a name for yourself now in crypto, in 10 years time, you are seen as the crypto pioneer, um, similar to early days when the oil and gas lawyers uh, start to build up the practice. Uh, unfortunately, it's sunsetting now, but they've had a fantastic few decades of growth and expansion. So I think that's what you can look forward to. Yeah, so so true. And, you know, now is the time. And I still, still advise people, it's still early. You know, it's super exciting times, but it's still early. There's every opportunity to get in there and, you, you know, giving some very practical things about, you know, getting into to YouTube. There's some really good sort of initial things, videos that you can be watching people. I would definitely encourage people to follow Daniel as well. Obviously, he's in the, in the market, in the spaces. And through that, you'll meet people in his community and his networks that will also help upskill you and educate you in this world. So, you know, let's talk on from a, a legal perspective then, Daniel. What type of legal exposure is evident in a in a crypto company typically yeah i think uh, a lot of people have this misnomer that crypto companies are this unicorn completely brand new beast and uh it'll be hard to kind of adapt but it's not i think crypto company at its core is a tech company with a finance spin uh some would say it's akin to a fintech company so all the legal exposure that you see with a regular tech company you have it here uh regulations you see uh product uh, you see licensing as well, uh, corporate governance, everything, litigation, IP. These are all part and parcel of a crypto company because they are just like a regular tip, uh, tech company. Yeah, and I love it. You know, it's just a, it's just such progression that you know it's so exciting that you know the legal industry you know, and parts of the lawyers have every opportunity to be in the thick of what I see as this sort of generational shift. Um, in technologies that we're going to be embracing day to day. And I just love the whole concept of Web3, the metaverse and, and, and crypto and everything that's going on. So let's go to, to DeFi then. You know, what are the major legal pain points for DeFi uh, crypto companies right now? I think if you ask any DeFi crypto company, it is hands down crypto regulation. Uh, more so the uncertainty of whether your product will be captured by regulators as a security, as money lending, as a derivative, these are all things that you, you constantly have to juggle um, because if you are subject to licensing, it may be a long process. If you do not get the license, are you now shut out from that jurisdiction? 
right? With crypto, it's a global business. You're not restricted to just Germany or to just the US. It is global in scope. So really monitoring uh, global regulations around crypto is a, a full-time job on its own. And uh, I think that's really the main uh, pain point right now. Yeah, no, and it's so true when you talk about the sort of the regulation side of things. But, you know, in a way, it's, it's, it's good because I think, you know, the markets are moving in the right direction and hopefully we'll be building more trust for, for mass mass adoption in, in the future. So I mentioned in the introduction, Daniel, you are still based in, in Singapore. So how is Singapore setting itself up to be crypto hub for C, C token? So tell us more. Yeah, I, I'm going to say lukewarm. So I think Singapore started <laughs> off very, very bullish and very open to crypto. They enacted the Payment Services Act, which governs rules around fintech and crypto. It also established a licensing regime for crypto uh, players. But, uh, and I think it's actually in response to capitalizing on Hong Kong, uh, being in the current state it is in. Uh, but also because Hong Kong has been focusing more on accredited investors in the crypto space, less so retail investors. So that's where Singapore is actually trying to shine, is applying, um, you know, uh, allowing the business to businesses here to focus on both retail and accredited investors. But lately, it seems like they're taking a firmer stance in terms of protecting retail investors. You can see this with um, crypto advertising. They have uh, put a ban on crypto advertising to retail retailers. And you're seeing also an exodus of crypto companies that are based in Singapore, headquartered, but are moving to Dubai. Um, Dubai is another jurisdiction that's vying for this kind of global uh, crypto hub title, uh, that in Abu Dhabi as well. So I think in the next few years, you're going to see a lot of push and pull between these jurisdictions. And I'm still bullish on Singapore. I'm still confident that we'll turn it around because we serve a very important market here, the Southeast Asia market. Um, so for me, it's um, it's Singapore or nothing. Love it. Love the bullish uh, outlook there. And you're touching on it and t- talking about sort of, you know, Dubai and other areas. And, and I guess, you know, is there, is there anything else you would say or t- trends that you predict within the crypto market? Because in 2020, we had DeFi. 2021, we've had NFTs. I'm working on some own projects myself. You know, what can we expect in 2022 and beyond? Yeah, I think NFTs are still going really strong. Um, so you'll probably continue to see that. Uh, NFTs in terms of art, I've never really understood, but uh, recently a friend actually explained to me that NFT serves more than art purposes. It's actually more like a membership, so whereby you buy a board apes and you eventually have access to board ape events uh, or access to the artist that did it or have access to a special airport lounge that is partnering with board apes. That's the value of NFTs. It's basically a membership access to these private uh, events or private um, venues. So I think NFTs will still see quite strong, but more so you'll see probably GameFi coming up. GameFi is basically gamifying uh, traditional finance kind of thing. So where you play a game, you're harvesting and you're you're mining Bitcoin. that's actually how you uh, adopt a lot more um, regular people into crypto, which is the GameFi, making it easy, making it fun. But also with GameFi, you're seeing resurgence of DeFi. Because after you say you mined uh, on the game, mine Bitcoin, what do you do with that? Well, with DeFi, you can deposit it into an account and let it earn money, earn interest for you while doing nothing. So you're going to see, I think, those three things. NFT uh, remaining strong, GameFi and DeFi coming up. 
Yeah, super exciting trends. So definitely people you want to be uh, keeping in touch with, with Daniel to keep on the finger on the pulse with all of these things. And and finally, Daniel, as a, a career strategist, you know, what advice would you give to any aspiring lawyers or law, law students who are interested in a legal career in crypto? What can they do to prepare now? Yeah, so I think what you can do as an aspiring lawyer or a law student is uh, network. Honestly, it's it's the the easiest way to actually get in. Network with uh, crypto lawyers. Uh, reach out to me. Reach out to whoever else is in the the sphere. Reach out to developers. Um, you know, just put yourself out there and be willing to learn and be willing to engage in conversation. There are a lot of crypto uh, communities out there that are you know meeting up regularly, either on Discord uh, or in person. So I would recommend any um, law student or lawyer that are interested in entering the space to join those uh, conversations now. Um, build that network. And once again, in 10 years time, you're going to be the pioneer in crypto. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Now is the time to, to act, folks. And uh, Daniel, if our listeners would like to learn more about crypto or your mentorship, which I'm sure they will, what would be the best way for them to, to contact you? Feel free to shout out any social media or web links. And we'll also share them with this episode for you too. Yeah, I think in terms of content, you can look at YouTube, um, uh, whiteboard crypto is one that I follow quite often, and they really do. Uh, they really dumb down the uh, crypto concepts for you, uh, easy to understand. Um, also, there are a lot of YouTube um, or crypto influencers like Raul Paul uh, that talk about more macroeconomic uh, impacts of crypto. That's all kind of very interesting to understand as well. But I think, yeah, whiteboard crypto, uh, easy, quick, three-minute videos, and you understand the concepts much easier. Awesome. Well, Daniel, I would just like to say thank you so, so much. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure having you back on the show and and congratulations on your career going from strength to strength. And, you know, now a sort of general counsel at Kate DeFi and such exciting times for you and the legal sector as a whole and industry ahead. So just like to wish you lots of continued success with your career and future pursuits. But for now, from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast, over and out. This week's review comes from Adam North. Great, informative podcast. Five stars. I love the Legally Speaking podcast. I feel it finds the balance between being informative and lighthearted really well. Great guests within the legal sector as well. Thank you so much, Adam. We really appreciate all your kind words from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast. Thanks a million once again. 